Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page. Good evening, Christ Community Church. Well, unfortunately for you, I wasn't supposed to be here tonight, but um, Rick had a... Um, I guess you'd call it a good emergency. He found out the other day that his grandson's getting baptized tonight in Cincinnati. And so he's on the way there to watch his grandson be baptized, which is a cool thing, is it not? Absolutely. So I'm preaching tonight, and Rick is preaching tomorrow, which means if you can do both days, you get two different sermons. Um, so I just kind of threw this together at the last minute, so it'll probably stink, but be nice to me, all right? I've, been, I've spent five hours today at Shawnee State doing the invocation there, and, and they were uh, afraid of inclement weather, so they split a two-hour graduation into two one-and-a-half-hour graduations with an hour-and-a-half break in between, and so that's what I've been doing today. So, And in between that, I'm trying to throw together a sermon, but... So, if you were listening, the theme song you just heard was from what movie? The Godfather. Very good. Some of you are cultured here. The rest of you should be ashamed of yourself. Um, The Godfather. Now, why did I pick The Godfather? The Godfather is one of my favorite movies of all time. And and according to most critics' list, it is one of the best movies of all time. And, And here's a few things you may not have known about The Godfather. The Godfather was one of those things that happened, you know, and became a success, even though it shouldn't have, because it was a mess. It was an absolute mess. The novel came out, it was a hit, uh, Paramount Pictures bought it, and all of a sudden they tried to rush it into production. They had a first-time director, Francis Ford Coppola, had never really directed a major motion picture before. They picked him because he was Italian. And it's about the mob, so they figured, you know, oh, of course a New York Italian must know about the mob. So they hired him for it. And then the studio tried to hire, this is, this is true, they wanted Orson Welles to play the Godfather. They wanted Robert Redford to play Al Pacino's role. It, in the absence of Robert Redford, they wanted Ryan O'Neill. Can you see either of those as a New York Italian? In, in, I mean, but that's the way Hollywood thinks. And then, so then, when Francis Ford Coppola wanted to hire um, Marlon Brando to play The Godfather, the producer, Robert Evans, said, absolutely not. That guy's crazy. He's absolutely crazy. And he was. And he proved it by showing up on the set. He decided that he needed a draw. So he packed cotton in his mouth to talk. And then if you remember the opening scene where he's petting a cat, that cat was a stray cat he picked up off the set and just started striking. And then, to make matters worse, he would moon everyone on the set during dramatic moments to try to crack them up, which kept delaying, you know, the movie. That's what Marlon Brando would do. That's the Godfather. But studies have been done about why is it that the Godfather was such a huge success. I mean, yeah, there's violence and there's drama and there's all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, what they boiled down on when they studied it was, the most fascinating thing about The Godfather was family. It's all about family. 
And it's about family we can relate to. If you think about the Godfather, what have you got? You've got a distant father. You've got a mother who almost says nothing. How many lines does the mother and the Godfather have in the Godfather 1 and 2? Almost none. Yeah, I mean, she's almost completely silent. And then you've got the bully oldest brother. And the next brother, Fredo, is an idiot wimp. And then you've got the really bright kid, Michael, who's afraid to say anything until he's older. And then you've got the daughter, because she's not close to the father, who's loose and all the other kind of stuff. It's a dysfunctional family, and it's a family we can all relate to because we've seen it. We know it. Family is one of the most determinative factors in who we are. Family largely determines who I am, who you are. Family is such a huge factor in who we are. And it just is. This is one of the reasons why one of the most popular websites that you have to pay for is Ancestry.com. Ancestry.com is a huge hit. How many of you have ever used Ancestry.com? I'll quit. Come on. How many of you have ever used Ancestry.com? One, two, three. Okay, now more people are being honest. Okay. Ancestry.com. I've used it. And when I used it, I found out, I, I couldn't believe what I found out. One of the things I found out, and I, I use this, I'm not going to use it again tonight. I've got an image, but um, I found out that one of my great, 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 great grandfathers was named Moses Rawlings. First Rawlings to be born in America. Perfect name for somebody born in America first time, right? Moses Rawlings. He was a farmer in Virginia. He was next door neighbor to a guy named Patrick Henry. And he was a colonel under George Washington in the American Revolutionary War. His son also fought in the Revolutionary War, became friends with a guy by the name of Simon Kenton, who was friends with a guy by the name of Daniel Boone. After the Revolutionary War was over, they went and established a number of small villages, including one place called Fort Rawlings, in this brand new place called Kentucky which is one of the reasons why I and all the other who are going to heaven are UK fans. And and they establish this board. Now, let me ask you something. You go through Ancestry.com. You find out that one of your ancestors was a hero of the Revolutionary War. Does that make you, does that change anything in you? Does that make you more connected to this country or not? Of course it makes you more connected to this country. You're part of the founding of this country. Your ancestors are part of the founding of this nation. Then you find out that one of your ancestors helped establish the Commonwealth of Kentucky. Does that make you feel more favorable towards Kentucky? Of course it does. Especially if you're saved. You go on, you find out more and more about your ancestors, and what does it do? It changes you, for the better or for the worse. One of the things that I, 
I look out for, I, I began to look out for was this. When I began to go through Ancestry.com, and then I also got a hoppy, copy of, uh, a hard copy of uh, uh, Ancestry that my great uncle did, just going through records in Kentucky courthouses back in the 1950s after he got home from World War II, was that going through the 19th century in Kentucky, my ancestors were either Christian church preachers or they had stills out in the forest or they were both. And I began to look through this and I'm like, there's a lot of liquor in my, you know, in my ancestry and it's not all good. And so I began to, when I was a lawyer, when I was a full-time lawyer, you know, it was regular practice that at six, seven o'clock at the law firm, the drink cart would just come open and the scotch and bourbon was there and everybody would drink. Then I started going through my answers. I'm like, I'm not sure if I should touch that stuff because my, my ancestry, my, my, you know, family relationship with liquor is really not that good. And maybe I should just stay away from it. And, and, and so you begin to learn these things and it begins to form you. You begin to actually change who you are based upon what you know about your past. Family has that kind of power in your present. Your past, the more you know about your past, the more you know about your present, the more you know about your future, has a great deal of impact on who you'll be. It just does. You can't avoid it. Family is that powerful. Now, why do I bring all that up? Why do I bring the Godfather up? Why do I bring family up? Because it has a lot to do with what we're talking about. We're going through 1 John. And tonight we're getting to 1 John 3. And we're going to run through 1 John 3 and, and, and go through about 12 verses tonight. If you could throw the first one of those up there, we'll, we'll go ahead and start. All right, now remember that this is John. This is, this is who Jesus himself called his beloved disciple. John was one of his best friends. Peter and John were two of Jesus' best friends when he was here on earth. John wrote the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and the book of Revelation. And here he goes. He says, See what great love the Father, that's God, has lavished on us? That we should be called children of God. God. Now, this is a big deal at the time. To be a child of anyone at this time takes one of two things. The first is, obviously, that you're born of that person. But the second is that you're adopted. Now, if you were adopted in the first century, you had the exact same rights as someone that was born of you. There was no difference. In fact, Julius Caesar, before he died, adopted his nephew, his nephew would go on to become Caesar Augustus, one of the most powerful men in the history of the world. And he became that because he was the adopted son of Julius Caesar. Put that back up. And this is what we are. Now notice that. And this is what we are. We are children of God. What Scripture tells you is... No matter what you think of yourself, no matter how you define yourself, you may define yourself many ways. 
mother, father, brother, sister, this occupation, that occupation, this hobby, that hobby. John says, this is who you are. You are a child of God. That is who you are. Though I'm going to argue tonight, we don't see it. And we don't see it, I know, because we don't act like it. The reason the world does not know us is that they not know him, the Father. That's who he's talking about. He does not know the Father. That's why he doesn't know us. We're true to reflect the Father just as a child is to reflect the Son. I feel really sorry for my son because he looks just like me. God bless his heart. He is, with the exception of the red hair, he is a carbon copy of me. This is what it means. When, when, when the Bible talks about the image and likeness, it talks about you can see it. You can see it. You can see that reflection. You can see that. Those of you who are parents have seen it. You've looked at your child. You've seen it in their eyes. You see it, it, some little thing there, maybe a laugh, maybe you see it there. That, that's me. And yet we're supposed to be that for God to the world. Dear friends, now we are, there it is again, and when Scripture repeats itself, pay attention. We are children of God. And what we will be has not yet been known. That One day we will be like Jesus Christ in his resurrected body. That's going to blow you away. You're not even going to understand what that's going to be like. But that's our future. That's where we're going. And I'm going to argue in a minute that knowing where you've been, where you are, and where you're going has incredible power. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be made like him. What John is saying, for we shall see him as he is. What John is saying there is one day we will be like Jesus Christ. For those of you who have come to faith in Jesus Christ, one day when he returns, and we don't know, I don't care what the TV preachers say, I don't care what the radio preachers say, we don't know when that will be. No one knows. Only the Father knows. Scripture is very clear on that. But one day... The trumpets will sound, Jesus will appear, and then those of us who have been faithful to him, those of us who have placed our belief in him, our trust in him, we will be made just like him. And if you've read the Gospels, you know that the way he was when he was resurrected, he was physical, you could touch him, he could eat, and yet the Bible says he was glorified in the sense that he would never get older, he would never die. He had that physical body for all eternity. And one day we will have a physical body for all eternity. And all those you have loved who have faith in Jesus Christ will have that body. And you will see them. And you will know them. And you'll be able to touch them and eat with them. I have argued this before. In the new heavens and new earth, which is where we're headed for, Anything that is not sinful will be there. We will be there. We will be able, all those people you've known who have passed on, who had faith in Jesus Christ, they will be there in a physical presence where you can touch them, feel them, eat pizza with them. 
who doesn't want to eat pizza with someone? You should be able to, you should be willing to eat pizza with your worst enemy, for goodness sakes, because it's pizza. Let's go on. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. In other words, if you have that hope, you have that faith. That is what purifies you. You can't purify yourself. It takes the Holy Spirit to purify you. But it can happen. I'm not saying that means you live a sinless life. You will not live a sinless life until Jesus returns, though you'll want to. That's part of what having the Spirit is. Everyone who sinned breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. Lawlessness means treason, rebellion against God. But you know that he appears, that he might take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. When he died on the cross, he took the penalty for your sins, and he did that because he had no sin himself. He was the perfect sacrifice for you. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Now, if you've read all of 1 John, you know that he's exaggerating there. He does not mean that you'll never sin. Because earlier he says, if you say you have no sin, you're a liar. What he is saying is that you will get to a point, you will grow to a point where you will not want to sin. And when you do sin, you'll be like, uh, why did I do that? Why? I don't want to do that anymore. I'm, uh, Dad has slowly been giving me responsibilities, and one of the things I've decided to do is that in the next couple years, I am bringing in a guy by the name of Craig Gross. Now, other than having an unfortunate name like Craig Gross, he runs a ministry called triplexchurch.com. It is a ministry designed to combat addiction to pornography and to bring those who are in the porn industry out of the porn industry. And he has brought many of them out. He actually goes, he and his ministry actually goes, they fast and they pray before they go, and they go to porn conventions and they print NIV Bibles that say on the front of them, Jesus loves porn stars. And they give these Bibles away at porn conventions to porn stars. And they have, have this thing called, they have a fund where they get men and women out of the porn industry, help get them away from LA and Las Vegas where the porn industry is located. They get them into an apartment, they get them into training so they can get some kind of other vocation. And they have led some of the biggest stars in the porn industry out of it into Christianity, into a church, into a regular job, and into education. Now, I happen to think those guys are going into darkness and spreading light, and they deserve our support. And I'm going to bring that guy to this church. And he may just bring a former porn star with him to talk about it, because I think it's that important. And they will sit there and tell you. Craig Gross will tell you. He goes to these porn conventions. He struggles with lust. He has to fast and pray to struggle with lust. But if somebody is not committing adultery but still bringing porn stars out of the industry 
into churches, I think that's a person who deserves our support, don't you? I do. Let's go on. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous just as he, that's Jesus, is righteous. And righteous just means right with God, in a right relationship with God. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's works. I happen to think some of the most important work being done today are by ministries like International Justice Mission, which is dedicated to destroying the sex trade, sex slave trade, and Triple X Church and others. And I really believe, I pray for this. Here's my prayer. Here's the one thing I've been praying for a year now. It takes several million dollars to bring a ministry into our area called Teen Challenge. Teen Challenge is a ministry that was developed by David Wilkinson in New York City. It is, it is a faith-based, purely faith-based ministry that deals with those who are, are in addiction. It has an 80% success rate. Most rehabs have a 5 to 10% success rate. It has an 80% success rate because it is totally and utterly faith-based. Because one of the things, one of the important things it does is it treats addicts, it teaches addicts that whenever they get anxious, whenever they get bored, they teach them how to pray. They teach them how to pray more deeply than most Christians know how to pray who don't have an addiction problem. It costs millions of dollars to bring that to this area. I think we need one. I think we need one badly. I have worked with addicts for more than 10 years. I do not look down on addicts. I see what they're going through. I understand that every cell in their being is crying for their addiction. Every time they get anxious, every time they get bored, every cell in their body saying, I need it, I need it, it's the only thing that makes me calm. It's the only thing that makes me feel better. I've seen it, I understand it, and when I've worked with addicts, I've always said the same thing. There, by the grace of God, go I. We need that here. We need it badly. Because we need to see what 1 John is saying so clearly, which is what I said a couple weeks ago when I preached on it. You need to understand something. In the scope of the universe, there was no one below you, but there is one above you. And only the one above you can save you and help you. Only that one. Let's move on. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have born of God. The Greek word is there is wanting to sin, continuing sin. This is the difference. There is a difference between sinning and liking it and wanting to do more of it and sinning and saying, oh, I want to stop. I just want to stop. I don't like this anymore. I want to quit and I don't know how to quit. That is the difference. 
This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. Now, I'm going to come back to that. For this is the message you have heard at the beginning. We should love one another. Now, this does not mean have sappy feelings for one another, and it does not even mean like one another. It means care for one another even when we don't like one another. And this is important. For Paul the Apostle writes, it is nothing to love someone who you like. That's easy. To love someone you don't like, that's the test. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. He looked at his brother and said he was doing what's right. I cannot do what is right, and so therefore I hate him. Here's where you need to come down. This is what you need to know. If you have come to faith in Jesus Christ, if you have said the little prayer, I don't care if you were 12, I don't care if you were 84, when you say, I don't care. You, have, you are an adopted child of God. That's who you are with all of the rights that come with that. And even though I say that, I know that most of you will not be able to comprehend that. And you will go home, you will leave here, you go out to dinner, you'll have some pizza, you'll go home, you'll turn on Netflix, you'll turn on Time Warner or Spectrum or whatever the heck it is. You'll turn it on and you'll sit there and watch something and you'll zone out and you'll entertain yourself to death and you will forget the fact that the God who made this universe merely by speaking the God who knit you together in your mother's womb loves you so much that despite the fact that you have basically, forgive me, given him the finger every time you've sinned, still loves you enough to die for you, to save you. Now, how many people can you look in the eye and say, that person would die for me? Now, I know when I look in my mother's eyes, she'd kill for me because I've seen those claws come out. I know my mother would kill for me. I know when I was a teenager, my father would have killed me if he could have gotten away with it. He used to tell me I wasn't worth a bullet. But how many people can you look out and say, they would die for me? You don't know who would die for you. You don't know if your spouse would die for you. You don't know if your parents would die for you. But here's the thing. God, you know God would die for you because he already has. He already has. And I've already pointed out to you, I don't know how many times, if you read the Gospels clearly enough, he had died just for you. He hung on the cross for six hours. He didn't need to hang on the cross for six hours. He could have gone to the cross, been on there six seconds, died, and it would have saved all of you. 
Why did he die? Why did he hang on the cross for six hours? Because it took three hours for a thief to the right of him say, You, you, please, let me come with you to your kingdom. And three hours later, a Roman soldier said, this is surely the Son of God. He hung on the cross three hours for a thief and three hours for a Roman soldier. You don't think he'd do it for you? The God who made you, who you have spit in his face every time you've sinned, has already died for you. That's how much he loves you. He's your father. This is your father. This is your king. This is your brother. We call each other brothers and sisters in Christ, even though it is weird to the outside world. It's weird. Hey, brother, you say that to a fellow Christian in church, that's fine. You say it outside church, people think, what? They think you're a weirdo. You can say bro, because everybody says that. But if you say brother or sister, they think you're nuts. Because it doesn't make any sense to them. Because they don't understand. What they don't understand, and the reason why, in fact, the Roman Empire accused the early church of being incestuous because they called each other brother and sister. Because husband and father called each other brother and sister. And they did that because of this teaching that God is your father. And that makes you all children of God. And if you're all children of God, then you're all brothers and sisters in God. That made no sense to them. And it's not going to make any sense to the world. Never And I know it's weird. Don't go home tonight and get in bed with your spouse and call her sister. That's weird. That's just, that's just flipping weird. But understand this. You have the same father. You have the same adopted father. Who loves you so much he was slaughtered for you. To save you. Now, this is even more of a challenge today because we actually define families differently. You may not understand this, but different generations define families differently. They do. There's a great book out there by a guy by the name of Hayden Shaw called Generational IQ. It's worth your read. Where he talks about how the different generations think. So, for example, there is the the greatest generation, those born before the end of World War II. Now, if you know anything about the greatest generation, you know that they were willing to storm the beaches of Normandy, but at the same time, they'll never question a doctor. Ever notice this? There's a reason for that. They were taught to respect authority and listen to the person in authority and shut up. So if a drill sergeant said, charge that beach, they did it. If a doctor said, this is your problem, they say, okay. And that's why you always need to go with them to a doctor to say, whoa, 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 wait a minute. He's not telling you everything. He takes this, he does this. That's why you didn't have that. Because they just, they've been taught to listen to authority and shut up. And then there is the baby boomer generation. The baby generation, the hippies. The hippies were taught that 
It's all about your emotions and getting in touch with your emotions. And, and you need to understand yourself and all this other kind of stuff. And that's why they're all about themselves. And that's why to talk to somebody who is from that generation, you have to talk psychologically in order to reach them. And then there's my generation, the most cynical generation in all of history. Surprise, surprise. Because we were the first latchkey kids. Most of you who are by the baby booner generation, you still had one parent at home. We didn't. We came home and had to unlock the door. Television raised us. And our attitude was, yeah, you th- you're going to tell me it works? Show me. And we picked our friends. We picked our family. What was the most popular television show of the 1990s? Show them, Chris. See if you can guess it from the picture. What TV show is that? Friends. Now, if you remember Friends, were they close to their family? No. Who were they close to? Their friends. Why? Because my generation said... I'm only going to pick what works, so therefore, I'm going to allow a select few of people into my inner circle. They're going to be my family. I'm going to trust them and nobody else. And I remember reading that and going, oh, crap, that's me. Because I've done that my entire life. I have a select number of friends that I confide in, Jay Vastine's one of them, is there, I have a select number of friends that I confide and that's it. I don't talk to anybody else. I don't let them know anything else. They're my family for all intensive purposes. And then you have the millennials who have been told from birth that they're special and they believe it. And their counsel is themselves. They think anything, themse- anything they say is wonderful because they've said it. And they're God's special snowflake. And so it gets harder to define family with each one of these generations. Here's the problem with my generation and the millennials and so forth. You shouldn't pick your family. Here's one of, the, one of the wisdoms God had by bringing us all together as brothers and sisters, though we may not even like each other. Let's be honest. Not everyone here likes each other. It's true. Some of the only, I mean, some churches are only kept together by lack of communication. You can't choose your family. I wouldn't choose most of my siblings. I, I'd fire most of them. But I can't. And I've had to live with them. When I ran away to L.A., the one problem I had with going to Hollywood is I had a brother there. And I didn't really like him. But it's kind of hard to ignore the only person you know in a large city. That's your brother. He didn't really like me either. But we were brothers. We had to put up with each other. 
The thing about a family is this. You come together, whether you like each other or not, you've got to work it out because you're family. And that actually has the potential to help you grow. Because putting up with people you don't like, helping and loving people you don't like, will help you grow. It'll help you mature. It'll help you to be less selfish, which we all deal with. Yes or no? This is what it does. I don't struggle with dealing with my friends because I like them. I struggle with dealing with my family because I didn't choose them. God chose them. And it's the same thing with your church family. When you all accept God as your father and you all see each other as brothers and sisters who you will spend eternity with, then and only then can you deal with each other. Otherwise, you'll bail. There have been people who bailed over this church the last year because they didn't see it that way. They just didn't. They saw it as, I don't like him. I don't feel comfortable. Bah, gone. Now, you want to show me in Paul's letters where it says, the moment you feel uncomfortable, you go find someplace else. He doesn't say that. He says, the moment you feel uncomfortable, suck it up, buttercup. That's the way it is. Being around family members that you don't like is the only way you grow. It really is. And here's the thing. Once you get used to that, you will find that a lot of the people that you didn't think you liked still have a lot to teach you. Because they've been through a lot of things you haven't been through. And you need to know. It's the way it is. I just turned 45 last weekend. That's young to some of you. It feels really old to me. At 45, I appreciate my parents a lot more than I did at 25. They're in Uganda right now. I don't know how they have the energy to go to Uganda at 80 and 78. Dad's going to turn 80 in September. Mom's going to turn 78 in December. They don't seem to realize they're that at that age. They just go, go, go. They work 60 hours a week. And I've learned from them more now than I did then. Because I've learned to accept that. There are things they do I don't like. There are lots of things I do they don't like. But I've learned a lot from them. A lot. I'm learning more every day. They're not perfect. But I still learn a lot from them. And one of the things Dad has taught me over the last couple years, and this is controversial, and this may tick some of you off, but Dad and I tick a lot of you off. He told me a long time ago, he said, son, this church will not thrive until we have primarily focused on reaching out to men. 
He said, now, that's, that's not because he's sexist. It's not because he doesn't want women to be here. It's because he said, he looks and he sees men today not being Christian men. That's one. Two, he said, if we get Christian men, the women will follow. And he doesn't mean that in a sexist way. He just means it this way. If you ever think about this, ask a man to hold your purse in a mall. Does he want to do it? He might do it to make you happy. He doesn't want to do it. Ask a woman to grab a hammer. She'll do it. Women will follow men who are Christians. And by Christian men, I mean men who would die for their spouse. And men need men to be their friends. Women, you need to understand this. You should be, if you're a woman, you're a wife, you should be your spouse's best friend. But they need to have men, male friends. They just have to. And they need male things to do. Men need to eat meat and shoot guns. It's just in our DNA. It's how God made us, for goodness sakes. And it's just how it is. And men need male friends. And yet, the studies show, and I can show you books on this, the number one thing men need today are male friends. The number one thing a male today is not willing to ask for is another male friend. What they need most, they're not willing to ask for. Now, I am a huge fan of the Fast and the Furious franchise. How many of you have seen the Fast and Furious movie? Okay, I just admitted it, so I'm not going to call you out for it. Go ahead and raise your hand. Okay, the rest of you repent what is wrong with you. I really don't know. Now, a few years ago, the Fast and the Furious franchise was, took a shock because one of the co-stars was killed in a car wreck, Paul Walker. Do you remember this? Now, Paul Walker, I'll tell you something about Paul Walker. Paul Walker was a Christian, so it's okay. He died a believer in Jesus Christ. So I look forward to racing him in the new heavens and the new earth. And when he died, he died in the middle of filming. So at the end of Fast and Furious 7, they filmed a tribute to him. Let me show it to you. Roll it. You aren't going to say goodbye? Never goodbye. It's been a long day without you, my friend. And I'll tell you all about it when I see you again. We've come a long way from where we began. Oh, I'll tell you. Watch your way in the vibe is feeling strong and was small turn to a friendship a friendship turn to a bond and that bond will never be broken the love will never get lost 
brotherhood come first and the line will never be crossed established it on our own when that line had to be drawn and that line is what we reach so remember me when it's i'm gone you my friend Without saying goodbye. I used to say I lived my life a quarter mile at a time. And I think that's why we were brothers. Because you did too. This is your car. My car? Sweet home. <laughs> What's happening, dude? Thanks for the invite. I'm gonna go for a drive. No matter where you are, whether it's a quarter mile away or halfway across the world. Ah, uh, we all change, we all grow, a new lane. The most important thing in life will always be the people in this room, right here, right now. Salute me, familia. I watched people in the movie theater. I watched grown men bodybuilders tear up at that scene because they knew what good friends, truly good friends, Paul Walker was with Vin Diesel and how that was an authentic farewell to his friend what how would the world react in a world that needs friendship and needs a father if they saw that in us if they saw that kind of love in us if they saw how much we loved each other as brothers and sisters how much we realize God's our father how would that world react and it could be a lot different Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this day. We thank you for all the graduates from Shawnee State today. We thank you for the freedom to come together, and we ask that you just be with us and help us to know you as our Father and each other as our brothers and sisters and to support each other and love each other as such and to show the world in a world that's dying for true family, dying for people who would die for them, you would show it in us so they could come to know you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, you're free to go. God bless you. God goes with you. Please be generous with the less fortunate as you go. If you're first-timer here, wait for me. I'll meet you back at the first-timer's table. Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page.